Welcome everybody to the fifth and final installment of our series, Dinner with Jesus. Every week we have been exploring the significance for us today of different meals that Jesus had with people throughout his life and his ministry. And in just a moment, we are going to dive into the implications for us and the invitation for us on today to quite honestly, the most important meal Jesus had with anyone in his time here on earth. But before we do that, I've got to take just a moment and make sure you are excited, informed, and ready. Come on, somebody in that chat say, I'm getting ready. Ready for next week. If you're joining us at Church Online or watching this uh, sort of in the time that is us, that is real time right now, we are just one week away from Easter 2023 here at Believing. And it's going to be an exciting, exciting moment, an exciting, exciting day for us as a church. Uh, for those of you that don't know, you about to know that beginning this Sunday, Easter Sunday, in person, we will have two worship experiences, one at 9.30 a.m. and one at 11.15 a.m. We are making more room for more people to join us, to engage in service, to experience all that God has for them at Believing. It's going to be absolutely incredible. I would encourage you, if you're coming in person, to bring people with you. It's going to be great. But with that, we are also improving and expanding our ability to serve people online. Starting this Sunday, we will be hosting our online service at 9.30 a.m. We found that a little earlier in the morning works better for many people. So at 9.30 a.m., our online service will stream live with a chat, all this type of stuff. And then, right here at Church Online, we will actually make the whole service available for the rest of the day on Sunday afternoon each week. So that way, if you miss or you work or you oversleep or whatever, and you want to engage with the worship, you want to hear the news, you want to be a part of everything going on, testimonies and stories, all things happening, not just the sermon, all that's going to be available all day long, every single week. And then our sermon will go live on our YouTube channel every Monday morning. But I, I want you to know about that so you can lean in. But most importantly in this season, it's the best and most important time for us to invite our friends to church. And so what I want to invite you to do right now, come on, if you're watching, wherever you're watching at, in the kitchen, you're watching in the car, you're listening to this uh, while you go, I want you to get your phone out right now, right now. And I want you to send a text message to two people, inviting them to service next Sunday. If you're planning to join online, invite them to join you online. You're planning to come in person, tell them, hey, meet me at the 930 service. I'd love for you to come with me at 1115. Let's invite them right now. Come on. There's a little script right here on the screen. You can literally type this on and say, hey, I'd love for you to join me for church next Sunday. Come on, send that right now. Let's be people who in this season invite people into the family of God. Invite people to experience transformation that can only be found in Jesus. And I just encourage you all week to be praying. Come on, be inviting and bringing. When you come, come early online or in person, but let's be excited for all that God's going to do next week through Easter at Believing. Come on, if you're excited, somebody in that chat, hit me with them hands, hit that clap, say, I'm excited today. Now, on today, there is no more significant dinner that Jesus had with anybody than the one that we're going to explore on today. Now, we call it the Last Supper. And there have been paintings and sculptures and writings for more than two millennia about it. 
But it's significant because this dinner with Jesus, unlike the other dinners with Jesus that we have studied, this dinner with Jesus, we are invited into that same dinner. We are actually able to accept that invitation. And when we accept the invitation to this dinner with Jesus, it changes us even still today with its call to remember. Now what's true about us today when it concerns our memory is most of what we remember, we remember by accident, right? Like you forgot that you had ordered something that they were gonna deliver until they called you and said, hey, we'd be at your house in 10 minutes. And you're like, oh my goodness, <laughs> I forgot I even ordered this. And, and, and now they're on the way and you needed that phone call as a reminder to you of what was going on. We forget. We, we, we literally don't know when anybody's birthday is. We just gonna hope that we gonna log into Facebook on that day and Facebook's gonna tell us that so-and-so had had a birthday so we can tell them, happy birthday, you mean so much to me. <laughs> Not enough to remember your birthday, but, but enough to log on and post something once I see Facebook. <laughs> Most of what we remember, we remember by accident. We don't know nobody's phone number. Some of you are old enough to remember back when you had to remember people's phone number. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you had to know the thing. Now we either just Google the number. If it's like a business, you have a restaurant we're trying to get some food from, we Google the number or we just remember their name and their name, we hit and it starts to call them. We don't remember anything because most of what we remember, we remember by accident. And this is an important thing for us to grasp because remembering isn't passive. Whatever you're gonna remember and remember on purpose, whatever you're gonna remember because remembering it is significant, it is not a passive situation. See, you will forget whatever you don't remember to remember. Whatever you don't set out, create a way, create a space, create a, sp a moment for you to make sure that you remember it with intention, you will forget. And I know this because while I, I think I have a good memory, part of why I have a good memory is I have a lot of things in my life that help me remember. I have things in my office, I have things around my home that when I see them, they remind me of commitments. They remind me of values. They remind me of moments that are significant that I need to hang on to. The watch I wear, I've worn the same watch every single day since about the time my son was born. And I remember he was, he was born and he had some, uh, quite a few complications. There were a lot of surgeries involved in the early days of his life. And, while we were in the hospital, somebody that had come to visit us during that time offered this little just phrase to me. And they said, cherish every moment. And quite honestly, they meant that a little bleakly because there were a lot of people in our world, there were a lot of doctors even that did not think our son was gonna live very long because of the heart issues that he was born with and the work that was being done. But for whatever reason, those words stuck with me. And I remember getting on my little, my little phone, the internet on your phone wasn't all that good at that time. But I remember getting on my little phone internet and looking for a watch because I really liked watches. And I had a bunch of cheap ones at the time. Just, and I was like, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna find me a watch and I'm gonna wear it as long as God gives me minutes with my son. And now here we are over 15 years later and I wear the same watch every day. And when I look at it, 
I don't look at it and think any other thing other than, hey, what time is it? <laughs> what day is it? And I want to value every moment. It's a reminder to me that any time that I get with myself is a gift from God. I've tied things around my wrist for literally since I was in high school, but they're not random things. They're things that all have meaning and purpose and they speak value to me. And when I see it, it reminds me of a season. It reminds me of a commitment. It reminds me of a dream. It reminds me of a burden that God's put on the inside of me. It reminds me of it because I know that you will forget whatever you don't remember to remember. Which is why this last supper, this dinner that Jesus invited his disciples to, but also he invites you and he invites me into, is so significant. And here's why. Because if we remember what God has done, it will change how we behave today. I don't mean just falling in line. I mean living your life with faith. I mean living your life with a conviction that God can do anything. I mean living your life in a way that brings honor to God. If we remember what God has done and I set up markers and moments in my life to think back to how God has provided, how God has cared, how God has saved, how God has turned around, things I did not think were possible to turn around. If I remember what God has done, it will change the way I behave today because today I'll walk and live by faith. Today I'll operate with joy in difficult situations. It will change the way I behave today if I remember what God has done. But not only that, if I remember what God has done, it will change how we believe tomorrow. I interact with people every day that have no hope for tomorrow. Some of them even call themselves Christian. <laughs> and they have no hope no faith, no promise that God can do, that God will do, that God wants to do anything. And it's because they do not remember. Can I tell you, friend, that is why the Last Supper, this dinner that Jesus had with his disciples, right in this time, literally as he was looking ahead to the cross, is so significant. Because if you're taking notes today, maybe you've downloaded them from our website, you're writing them on your own. I would love for you to write this thought down. That through the Last Supper, Jesus gave us reason and ritual so we'd remember. Through the Last Supper, Jesus gave us reason and a ritual so that we would remember. When I talk about the Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples, some of you will understand what I mean in modern terms on today. Some of you may not. What I'm speaking of that we still practice today through this invitation to dinner with Jesus is what some people call the Lord's table, what some people call the Eucharist, what probably is most commonly referred to, at least in our spaces and places, is as communion. Communion. And maybe you're someone who's been to a space, been to a place, interacted in time where, where communion was, was seen as the highest of highs, the most important of important. There are church traditions, there are church circles where literally the centerpiece of the worship experience every single time they gather is to receive communion together, to come to the table, as they will call it, to receive the bread and the cup, to eat 
and to drink. I want, as am one who, um, what I've learned about myself is that uh, I was handed, just in the church tradition I was a part of as a, as a middle schooler and high schooler and then the seminary I went to, I was handed a relatively low view of communion. It was important, but also like not that important at the same time. Something that we did, but like not with a whole lot of intention. I remember the, the, the church that I uh, attended when I was in middle school and high school, the, right at the front of the stage was a, a large pulpit, right? I mean, it was a, like a pulpit, like it was wide and it was white, had like a wood top with a cross on it. And then down on the floor, right in front of the, the pulpit was this, this table, it looked like a piece of buffet furniture you would see like at somebody's house. It, it coordinated very nicely with the pulpit and, uh, and had a wood top, white front. And on the front of it, it said, do this in remembrance of me. And on top of it, it almost always had flowers. So I don't know what we were doing in remembrance of me, looking at the flowers, smelling the fake flowers, like I don't know. But like most of the time it had flowers, but every once in a while, the flowers would be gone and communion would be set up there and it would be something done in, in service. There was nothing bad about the way we did communion or wrong about the way we did communion. It was just sort of like this add-on. There were things that they valued, things that the tradition that I grew up in, they valued. And quite honestly, communion was something they would say they valued, and they did. But just not on the level that they valued other things. And you can't value everything. And so you sort of pick and choose what ultimately you do value. And by way of how they valued it, I was handed a relatively low view of communion. And I didn't even realize this until a few years ago. When I started having conversations with a friend of mine who was becoming a very devout Catholic. And if you're familiar with the Catholic practice, uh, Catholics overvalue communion. And listening to him talk and us have conversation and discussion pushed me on a journey to really go back to the scriptures and say, okay, what does the scripture, what does Jesus give us? What does the New Testament talk about when it talks about the Lord's table, when it talks about communion, this thing that some people call the, what is going on here? And what did the early church practice? And what did uh, the early church fathers, what did the apostles do? What was going on? What has happened for the better part of 2000 years in the capital C church as we have remembered and returned to the Lord's table? And What's actually going on when we receive communion? And so today in this final installment of Dinner with Jesus, we are going to look at the Lord's Supper, to look for you and for me in these moments that are communion. And here in just a few moments, I'm going to warn you. I'm going to create an opportunity for you, even joining us online, to receive communion with me. And maybe you're prepared for this. Maybe you're not. You can prepare right now. You can literally hit pause on service. You can hit pause on this sermon and go get ready. Or you can listen from afar as we continue to go. But I'd love for you to find a cracker and some juice. If you don't have a cracker, grab a chip. <laughs> ain't got a chip, grab a tortilla. You know what I'm saying? Like grab something. You ain't got juice, grab a water. Ain't got water, grab a coffee. Grab a tea. Grab some liquid. And get ready here in a few moments to receive communion. But I don't want you to receive it like you've ever received it before. 
We're going to receive it today with a greater understanding of the invitation that Jesus gives to us. And so today I'm going to teach and preach to share really something very deep from my heart, a journey I've been on for many years as I've worked to value personally this thing that I believe Jesus invites us into because he valued it so personally because he knew that if we'd value this the way he wanted us to value, we'd always remember who he is, what he's done, and how much he cares for us. And so I want to take you today to Luke chapter 22, and we're going to read one of the accounts of the Last Supper. The Last Supper, as we know it, this dinner Jesus invited his apostles to, is recorded by Matthew, Mark, and Luke in their Gospels. John tells us a lot about the conversation at that meal, but actually doesn't reference this, this moment of eating. I'm going to give you a little bit of backstory because it will be very significant to what it is you need to grasp on today so that you grasp the significance of communion. But let's read several verses together. We're going to start in verse 7 and read to verse 20. We're going to read some things that maybe to some of you will feel out of order, but this is literally us just reading the scripture together, and I will bring it all to light as we go along. Let's read together, starting in verse 7 of Luke chapter 22. It says, Now the festival of unleavened bread arrived when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, Go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked him. He replied, as soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you to an upstairs large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. They went off to the city and found everything just as Jesus had said. And they prepared the Passover meal there. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until, catch this, its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this cup and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. This is Jesus right here inaugurating what we call communion during what is known as a Passover Seder. Now, those of you that don't have any Jewish friends or are unfamiliar with uh, the, the Jewish culture, the word Seder is going to sound very um, new to you. Seder is simply a meal had during Passover. It is a meal of remembrance and a meal of celebration. And Jesus inaugurates communion. He has the Lord's Supper as a part of what's going on in this Passover Seder, which would explain to us as we read in Luke, and some of you would be thrown off by it, why Jesus gave a cup of wine and told them to drink it before he served them the bread. 
Because everybody knows that when you take communion, you take the bread and then you take the cup. You know what I'm saying? You eat and then you drink. You got to wash that John down. You got you to gotta take the bread and then you take the cup. That's the way it goes, Jesus. Come on, don't you know? But it was a part of a larger meal. It was a part of a bigger remembering. So that's why there was a cup before Jesus took bread and he broke it and he served it and said, this is my body. And he took cup and served it and said, this is my blood. Remember me as you drink. Remember me as you eat. It's very important to note this as a Passover Seder, more specifically, as Luke tells us, the festival of unleavened bread, because it tells us when it happened. There is no ambiguity as to when Jesus died. History records this, not even just the New Testament. History records it. All of history marks very clearly when Jesus died, when this meal would have happened, when this dinner with his disciples would have occurred. So we know when it happened because of the Passover Seder that they participated in. But the second reason this is significant, I want you to get as I begin to explain. That you can't understand communion if you don't understand Passover. In fact, the reason you probably don't understand communion, the reason maybe some of you even take communion with relatively low value, whether it's a part of a midweek prayer or whether it's in a service or whether it's at a home or you try to be doing it by yourself. The reason you view it so lowly it's probably because you don't understand Passover. What is Passover? What do I mean by Passover? Well, Passover told the story of deliverance and redemption for the people of God known as Israel. Specifically, it was to remember their exodus from slavery and captivity in Egypt. God protected them through over 400 years of slavery and oppression in Egypt. But God also delivered them on the back end of 10 consecutive plagues that Moses prophesied to Pharaoh would happen, and they did happen. The 10th plague, for those of you unfamiliar, was that God said that night the angel of death was gonna come through the whole land of Egypt and kill the firstborn in every family, including families in Israel who didn't do what he said. But God gave instructions to Moses for them to have a meal that they now call Passover, where they were to eat certain things and not eat certain things. And then they were to take the blood of the lamb sacrificed to eat. And they were to paint the door frame of their house with that blood. So that when the angel of death came through the land, if they saw the blood, they knew that house was covered and that firstborn would be protected. And now for thousands of years since that moment at the time of Jesus, the nation of Israel had celebrated Passover Remembering the moment when God watched over them and protected their people by not doing to them what he did to everyone else. Because the angel of death saw the blood 
And so he passed over their residence. They gave celebration to God because that was the moment that Pharaoh said enough is enough. Y'all got to get out of here. And God brought freedom. God brought deliverance to people who had been in slavery for hundreds of years. Then it was a reminder to Israel of what God did. And as they remembered throughout their year with feast and festival, as they remembered at Passover, how God had protected and God had looked out for and God had passed over. They had faith for what God would do going forward. Communion becomes significant. Not when we make communion something it's not. Not when we make it something it was never intended. Jesus never meant for it to be. But when we understand what it is. See, if there is a, a great heir by my friend and just about all practicing Catholics, concerning communion or the Lord's table, the Eucharist, it's they make communion something it's not supposed to be. Some of you will know this because maybe you spent some time as a Catholic or maybe you have Catholic relatives or friends. But practicing devout Catholics actually believe that when they receive communion or the Eucharist, as it's more commonly referred to in those circles, that the bread that they are eating is literally the body of Jesus. That through some like magic that they can't really explain, this wafer becomes literally Jesus. That's why if you've ever been around a Catholic and they walk by communion that has been blessed, they'll drop to a knee and then pop back up because they don't just believe that's the communion cracker. They believe that's Jesus. They believe that the cup that they drink literally is the blood of Jesus. Now they didn't start this way. These thoughts actually came about in about the fourth century by a, by a gentleman by the name of um, Irenaeus. And he was caught up in Gnostic thinking and all this spiritism and that still is prevalent and permeates on today, but the most visible sign of it particularly in uh, the church, really is in the Catholic thought concerning communion. For those of you that care to read more about it, it's the idea of what's known as transubstantiation, that somehow this cracker and this juice, this wine and this bread become transformed into Jesus. But what if I told you that what actually is going on when we receive communion, when we participate in the Eucharist, when we come to the Lord's table, does it need some magic that can't nobody explain, see, touch, taste, or feel? But it's actually a better story, a bigger story, a true and more continuous story that you can trust because of Passover. See, we start making communion something it's not the moment we want it to be something it never intended to be. 
See, at Passover, unleavened bread was eaten. And it reminded them of the haste with which they left Egypt. They got up out of Egypt fast. You say, how do you know? Old Testament, Exodus chapter 12, verse 39. This is the way the scripture reads. Please do not get lost in my teaching today. I'm trying to make very clear for you so that today and every day going forward that you ever receive communion, you get why. And so I know I'm teaching a little more and it's in this, woo, maybe next week we got all that for you and more, okay? But today I want you to get it. Somebody say he's trying to help us get it. Come on, type that in the chat. Somebody say it to your friend sitting next to you. He's trying to help us get it. You see, a Passover unleavened bread was eaten, reminding them of the haste with which they left Egypt. That story is found in Exodus chapter 12, verse 39 puts it this way. It says, for bread, they baked flat cakes from the dough without yeast they had brought from Egypt. It was made without yeast because the people were driven out of Egypt in such a hurry, they had no time to prepare the bread or other food. The symbols are powerful when they're understood. A flat communion wafer is what Jesus ate. If you've ever seen pictures of communion and you see Jesus with what looks like a French baguette, <laughs> that's some artistic interpretation. Jesus got a, got, a, got a loaf of Wonder Bread that ain't been sliced and he's breaking it, giving some to his disciples. Artistic interpretation. What Jesus ate was what they ate at Passover. And what they ate at Passover was flat, unleavened, bread. And it goes back to this story. You say, well, I don't get the meaning of the story. I will tell you. They ate flat bread because in the original Passover, they didn't have time to wait for the bread to rise because God's provision of deliverance for them was going to come so fast that they wouldn't have time to sit around waiting for the bread to rise because bread rise and be taking some time. So God gave them instruction. I want you to bake unleavened bread. I want you to have, because that's gonna have time because my deliverance is going to come to you so fast that you ain't got time to wait for the bread to rise. Hear me, God's deliverance to them was so quick. They didn't have time to wait. So in Jesus's, Passover meal. At the last supper, the dinner he invited, he had bread that looked like what you could pick up from the store, which is what I did. <laughs> find you a Kroger with a kosher aisle and you will find matzah. You will find this flat bread. And every time at Passover, when they saw the flat bread, it reminded them of how fast God had delivered them and how fast he could deliver them. The power, though, is not in the symbol. The power is in what's remembered because of the symbol. There's a, there's a Christian hip-hop artist by the name of Andy Minio, who I love. Uh, Andy's one of the, the leaders in the Christian hip-hop space, and uh, 
he he has he has several songs that are like like big, well known, known by like all sorts of people everywhere. Like he's got this uh, he's got this one song that it's probably the one you're you're familiar with with him uh, because it's been it's been used in commercials. Uh, some of the biggest celebrities in the world, Kim Kardashian, others have used it in like TikTok videos, Instagram videos, and stuff like that. And it's coming in hot. Mm, 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 mm. Coming in hot. Mm, mm. Like that whole like like people know him because of that. He has lesser known songs too. And you got this one song on, on an album that's a little more obscure that I just think is so funny. It's called Paisano's Wildin', right? And he will say some of the most ridiculous things in this song. And in this particular song, he has this one little, uh, little verse, if you will, that he gets into. And he, he makes this statement starting out because he's talking about people acting crazy and people wilding out, people doing stuff that they don't really like understand what they're doing and why they're doing what they're doing. And they just I'll be out here saying stuff that they don't really live out. And he makes a statement. He says, I'm about to throw a Buddha on my necklace. You know what I'm talking about Buddha, right? Like Buddhism, like Eastern mysticism, like that fat dude. If you ever drive down Mount Moriah, that fat dude sitting in the front yard, giant statue, Buddha. He said, I'm about to throw a Buddha around my necklace. But some folk might call me reckless. That's what he says. He says, this is my, my, my hesitancy with doing such a thing is that some people may call me reckless if they walk in and see me on my necklace with a giant Buddha figurine. But then he goes a step further. And he says, everybody rocking Jesus pieces. What's he mean? Talk about people wearing T-shirts uh, that say, ye must be born again. Talk about people wearing, wearing crosses around their neck. And you can't take the cross off. You give the cross a little kiss. He says, everybody rocking Jesus pieces. So he says, I'm going to do what y'all do. Wear stuff I don't believe in. You'll get it later on. His point is, so many people take symbols and try to make the symbol be the thing that has the power. Symbols are only powerful when you understand what it's pointing you to. At communion, the reason that we eat flat bread is it reminds us of how fast our deliverance from sin comes. Jesus took flatbread from Passover that in the mind of every one of his disciples would have reminded them of how fast Israel had been, had been delivered from captivity by the hand of God. And he broke it and said, now I want you to remember every time you eat this of how fast I'm about to set you free from sin. See, what the Bible actually says is if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Not if anyone goes to church for enough years or if anyone gives enough money or prays enough prayers. No, if you are in Christ, you're a new creation. The scripture says somewhere, if the son sets you free, then you are free indeed. He said, every time you eat this bread, I want it to remind you that God has set you free from sin and he did it fast. He ain't waiting, he can do it now. He ain't trifling over it, he can do it now. He sets you free in a hurry. See, that's what communion reminds us of. That because of Jesus, we're free. Every time you take this bread, let the fact that the bread didn't have time to rise, that's why I told you to get a cracker. 
That's why I told you to get a chip. That's why I told you to get a tortilla. Because you need to see and be reminded how fast your freedom can come because we are saved by his grace and our faith in it. It is not of ourselves. It's his gift and his gift comes in a hurry. How's it all going to work out? We don't know. <laughs> we may wander in the wilderness for a little bit and that's okay. But it's going to come and it's going to come fully. And because of Jesus, I am free. The other thing that would happen at Passover is four different cups of wine would be drank as a reminder of God's promises of deliverance. This idea is actually rooted in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. This is where those four cups come from. God says, I will free you from the labors of the Egyptians. He says, I will deliver you from their bondage. He says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and through extraordinary chastisements. He says, and I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. Every Passover Seder would have four cups of wine involved, reminding themselves of what God had done. Most scholars believe that the cup Jesus offered after he took the bread and he broke it, he offered a cup for them to drink. And that cup was the third cup. That the cup he gave to them the cup he himself drank was lined up symbolically with the third cup that, if you don't remember, was the promise of God to say, I will redeem you through extraordinary chastisements. The prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament far later than Exodus was written, but far before Jesus would come and give his life, would tell us that the chastisement for our peace was upon him. Can I tell you at communion what we do? We drink to remind us of God's promise to redeem us through Jesus' sacrifice. Can I tell you through this dinner with Jesus, he transformed the cross into a Passover. And by means of the cross, he transformed the Last Supper into a sacrifice. See, the Bible says that God sent his son, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might be sons of God. Communion reminds us that because of Jesus, yes, we're free, but communion reminds us when we take the cup and drink it, that because of Jesus, we are covered and we are covered for good. There is joy in the fact that once and for all, Jesus' sacrifice is for good. He's the one that redeems us. He's the one that covers us. And friend, when you understand what happened at Passover, then you can understand what happens at communion. But we forget. You forget. I forget. We don't even know. And what happens is, is reminders not remembered become relics. 
See, what the Catholic Church will not tell you, but history bears it out, is that for the better part of a thousand years, actually about 1,100 years, the Catholic Church didn't even practice communion. Yet they believe it with such veracity and all this transubstantiation stuff today. Relics. The church is full of relics. You can go all over the world and find things attributed to Christendom. Buildings that nobody worships in. Paintings that people don't understand. Statues created that were supposed to have meaning, supposed to remind of story, and nobody even knows the story. They just judge the artwork and try to preserve an artwork. And it's become a relic because people have forgotten the point. Can I tell you something today? We don't need relics. We need reminders that point us to the grace and mercy of our God. We don't need relics. We need reminders that remind us of the freedom and forgiveness that is ours through Christ Jesus. We don't need relics. We need reminders that, that call us and cover us, that, that point us to what is ours in Christ Jesus. Can I tell you, that's why what we do when we gather in worship is so significant. As we sing and as we worship, can I tell you, your singing and your worship can either be a reminder like it's supposed to be, or it can become a relic. It's supposed to remind you of the power of God, remind you of the goodness of God, remind you of how he brought you, remind you of how he carried you, remind you that he'll make a way where there is no way, remind you that he's good, remind you that he's faithful. So when we worship, it reminds us, it reminds those with us of who our God is. That's why when we go to the scriptures, <laughs> the reason God gave us them is to remind us of what he's done. Because if I see that he can give confidence to an insecure man by the name of Gideon, he can give confidence to me. That if he could, if he could, if he could break the anxiety inside of the man of God, Elijah, he can break anxiety inside of me. If he could feed his people while they wandered through a wilderness for 40 years, he could feed me on today. He's good and he's faithful and he's true. And when I go to the scriptures and I receive that, it's supposed to remind me. But for most people, their Bible is something they never pick up, but they would be offended if you threw it on the ground. It's a relic. When it's supposed to be a reminder. That's what prayer does. Whether we pray in a service or we pray midweek prayer, you pray by yourself, you pray wherever. It's supposed to remind us that God is bigger than the situations overwhelm us. Like Peter tells us, we can cast all our cares on him because he cares for us. It's supposed to remind us of his faithfulness, remind us that he is our source. That's the reason we give. Part of the reason that we give financially is it reminds us, this is what Moses taught us in Deuteronomy, that when we put God first, it reminds us to do that. When we give, it reminds us that God comes first in every area of our lives. And this dinner with Jesus, the bread and the cup, are to remind us that our freedom from sin was paid for 
by his body, broken for us, by his blood, poured out for us. And Paul makes this statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26. He says, for as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Every time you take this bread and you eat, every time you take this cup and you drink, you are announcing, you are declaring, you are proclaiming that his death gives me life, that his brokenness makes me whole, that his blood makes me right and it covers me for good. You see, if you'll keep proclaiming, then you'll keep remembering. The reason some of you do not remember what Christ has done for you. You don't remember his body broken for your wholeness. You don't remember his blood poured out to cover you for good. It's because you never proclaim it. That's the reason, too, why you never think God is good, because you never declare it through worship. You don't believe that God will provide for you because you never put him first in your life. You don't look back on what he's done, and all these things have become relics, including this dinner with Jesus. But my prayer for you today is that transformation will come to your house. It will come to your mind and your heart. And that here in a moment when we receive these elements, maybe for you it would be the first time that you are announcing that I am free because God did it. I am covered because God did it. So you remember. Can I pray for you before we receive communion? Go ahead and get those elements ready if you haven't gotten them ready yet. We're about to receive it. You can push pause if you need to. But I want to pray for you, then we're going to receive together. Jesus, I thank you today for your goodness, your faithfulness in our lives. Father, I thank you that you made a way where there was no way. You did for good what we could not do for ourselves. And Heavenly Father, today I pray that as we receive these elements, our spirit would be invigorated by the fact that you have set us free from the bondage of sin. You have set us free by your body being broken for our wholeness. You have set us free. And I pray that that reality would come alive in us again, or maybe alive in us for the first time, as we receive what you told us to receive. We know that we take in more than simply bread and drink. We take in promise, hope that we are free and we are covered. Friend, I want you to take that bread right now. I have broken a piece from this hole to remind me and to remind you that his body was broken for us. So today, I want you to take this broken bread, a reminder to you that he was beaten, bruised, and broken so that we could be healed and made whole. 
Jesus, we give thanks for your sacrifice today. As we take the bread and eat, let's eat together. Today, we also take a cup that reminds us that we are covered, that our sin will not deserve the will not receive the penalty it deserves. But because of our faith in you, Jesus, our sin is covered and we are free. We thank you for your sacrifice for us. Let's take the cup together and let's drink. Before we go today, I wanna to pray one more time. Thank you, Jesus, for your love for us. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice on our behalf. I pray you protect, watch, cover your people. God, fill us with faith to remember the invitation and to remember the calling that you have for us, on us, because of all that you've done for us. We love you. Pray all this, Jesus, in your precious and powerful name. And everybody said, amen.